listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Because I know you can't see my footnotes when I'm speaking, I want you to know that large portions of what I'm going to share with you tonight come from Paul Fromberg's excellent book, The Art of Transformation. So our gospel story this evening is a familiar story. The angel Gabriel is sent to Mary's home in small town Galilee with a message. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary thought, that's an odd way to greet someone. I wonder what's going on. And Gabriel continued, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And Mary said, Cool, but that's weird, because I know how babies are made, and what you're describing doesn't match with anything I've ever heard before. And Gabriel said, You're right, it's totally weird, but God likes weird, and all the details are sorted. Don't worry about it. And you know what else? Your relative Elizabeth, who is way too old to have a baby, is also pregnant. It's all part of God's plan to turn the world on its head. And Mary said, cool, let's do this. And they did. After this meeting with Gabriel, and after Mary has had some time to think, she visits Elizabeth, a meeting that will inspire Mary to burst into song, a song that we still sing today, a song that we've given the fancy name, The Magnificat. This week, I packed up a parcel to send to my goddaughter. It contains Christmas presents for her and her brother, a stack of CDs, and a note explaining that CDs are an ancient technology used to store music, and I hope someone in her home still owns a machine old enough to play them. I have sent her my collection of Broadway musicals, because it turns out this is something we have in common. Finding a particular musical, learning everything we can about it, learning every single word, and then moving on to the next one. We both love musicals, and I wanted to share some of my favorites with her. Now, uh, some people claim they don't like musicals. Um, I'm married to such a person. Some people claim they don't like musicals, and I suspect they are lying. I am married to such a person. The most common reason I've heard for disliking musicals is that they are so unrealistic. I mean, people don't just go breaking out into song all the time, which I think is really sad, because personally, I break into song all the time. I even compose my own at a rate of about one or two a day. Mike and I have the same conversation at least a few times a week. At some point, he will pause, look at me very seriously, and say, do you think anyone other than me has any idea how weird you are? (laughs) And I'll say, no, but go ahead and tell them. To which he replies, there's no point. No one would ever believe me. (laughs) And that usually occurs when he's caught me singing my latest creation. So maybe it's weird. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe it's weird to break out in song. But I have to say it's also very, very biblical. People in the Bible break out into song all the time. Cross over the Red Sea, sing a song. Sit by the shores of Babylon, sing a song. Happy, angry, sad, sing a song. Frustrated, joy-filled, mistreated by the ruling powers, sing a song. 
There are about as many types of songs in the Bible as there are people willing to sing them. These songs express the whole range of human emotions and experiences. There's even a whole book of really sexy songs that we rarely use in church called rather poetically the Song of Songs. The book of Luke, where tonight's gospel text is taken from, is also filled with people bursting into song. There are four in the early part of the book that are still used regularly today. Whenever we say glory to God, we're echoing the angel's song to the shepherds. If you pray morning and evening prayer, you'll likely pray with songs by Mary, Simeon, and Zechariah, or, as we're calling him at our 4 p.m. services, Mr. Zed. All of these songs are taken from Luke. Maybe the Gospel of Luke is actually a musical. Now, shortly after the events detailed in tonight's Gospel passage, Mary decides to pay her cousin Elizabeth a visit, and Paul Fromberg observes that Mary arrives, unannounced and pregnant, at the home of her cousin Elizabeth, and the scene ends in song. My soul magnifies the Lord. In the next scene, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, takes the stage to praise God's stick-by-you love to the people at the birth of their son, John. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, looking favorably upon us and redeeming us. After Jesus is born, the angels tear heaven open and sing their heads off about the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. And then Simeon will creak through his song of mercy, spreading from the light of the baby Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation. When people come to the limits of their lives, they sing. People sing in these liminal spaces because singing is the only thing that makes sense when you're faced with a mystery. Mary's song is particularly powerful in the face of the mystery she bears in her body. She sings it as if the good news she bears is already accomplished. You cast down the mighty from their thrones and lift up the lowly. She recognizes something about God that we still have trouble getting. God is siding with all the beaten and excluded people that have dared to sing in the face of suffering and subjugation. Ever since there have been people who were denied their essential dignity, God has been right there, right next to them, preparing a way out of all that darkness. God has always been like this, and the ones like Mary, the ones who see that truth plainly, finally will have all the world's power. That is worth singing about. As many of you know, we take Advent very seriously around here, and it's a practice that I have developed a deep appreciation of over the past 10 or so years that I've been coming here. Now, one of the major objections I've heard from people who are skeptical of the practice is that they love Christmas carols so much that they can't imagine having to wait to sing them until the 25th of December. They could get behind Advent if it had a better soundtrack. Well, maybe it's because I've spent so many years working in retail, or maybe it's because I think some of the most beautiful music this community has ever composed is Advent music, but I can't think of a better way to ruin either season than to sing what our society calls Christmas music for two solid months. I had to run to the post office the other day, and that 15 minutes of music was more than enough for me. 
That music, which did contain a mix of songs about Rudolph and the baby Jesus, demanded nothing of me other than some sort of sentimental nostalgia for a time when all will be calm and all will be bright and everyone will be holly and jolly because it is Christmas. It's a tempting kind of music. It can stick in our heads, but it doesn't really satisfy. It's a song that tells us we are not enough, that we will never be enough. It's not good news. But we can sing, right along with Mary, a very different kind of song, a song filled with good news, a song that invites us to imagine a different way of being, a song that invites us to participate in the recreation and redemption of the world. Personally, I love the fact that when everyone around me seems to be getting more and more stressed out trying to arrange for a perfect Christmas, this community calls me into the waiting of Advent. And then, when everyone around me has grown tired of carols and their Christmas trees have lost all their needles, I can settle in for 12 whole days of Christmas, complete with an iTunes playlist containing multiple versions of all my favorite carols. Seven years ago, this community released a book called Beautiful Mercy, which I have to admit that until recently has been gathering dust on the shelf, but I'm rediscovering it now, and it's really a stunning piece of work that quite a few of the faces I'm looking at participated in. It includes a CD of music written by people in this community, including a version of Mary's song, The Magnificat, by Jaylene Johnson. It's a song filled with the good news of, as the title suggests, amazing love. My favorite line in her version is, My soul sings, God is great, and my spirit lets down her weight. Singing does that for me. It helps me realize what is weighing me down, and it helps me set down that weight, even if I know I will soon need to pick it back up again. Even when I know that my words of praise are less an accurate reflection of how I am feeling in that moment and more of an act of defiance, I don't always sing about peace, joy, hope, and love because I feel those things. Sometimes I'm singing because my soul is heavy with the longing to feel them. Singing can be an act of comfort, an act of praise, and an act of defiant hope. When we sing, we claim the right that God gives us to pay attention to the good news and sing in the face of the bad news. Singing lifts us out of the world where the weak are dominated by the powerful and the shame of the ashamed is increased. Singing can help us see the world the way God sees it, always filled with the potential for transformation and beauty. It can allow our souls to let down their weight. When we take up Mary's countercultural song, we can actually sing out our lives not for what they are, but for what God promises, a life full of courage, freedom, and love that imitates the stick by you-ness that is the very definition of God's love. The God of whom Mary sings is the God who delights in what is small and insignificant in the estimation of all the big deals and power brokers of this world. It is God's delight to take the most insignificant people imaginable and give them the power to do extraordinary things. That is God's promise. That is good news. To gather together on a cold, dark December evening to sing together may seem like a small thing in the face of the worries of this present darkness, but it has always been from such small things that greater light spreads across the world. 
So let's sing. Let's sing songs of hope in the face of despair during Advent. Let's sing songs of peace, joy, hope, and love coming from the root of Jesse. Let's sing songs of joy to the world and tidings of great joy during Christmas. Let's sing Mary's defiant song of a world turned upside down by God's amazing love to magnify the greatness of this God. And when we sing, may we sing like we really mean the words we're singing, whether that's because we believe each word in our heart or because we're holding out a defiant hope that despite the fact that we don't believe today, we may one day. May our singing be filled with a longing for beauty, for a better world than the one we experience today. May our singing let others know they are welcome to join the song. And may our singing be free from the shame that we've been taught to connect to the quality of our voices. What is your song like today? I don't necessarily mean what is the song that when you hear it on the radio, you proudly proclaim, that's my song, and turn it up. I mean, what's capturing your attention? What is closest to your heart? Is it a hymn of praise, of lament, of wonder? Have you perhaps become so busy that you're not even sure? Have you forgotten to listen to your own heart? Have you forgotten how to sing? It can be a very worthwhile exercise to reflect on the songs that impact you deeply. Those from scripture, popular culture, the ones you write yourself. Where have you experienced moments of pure joy or wonder? When was the last time you let yourself play or embraced a childlike sense of wonder without worrying that people might think you're weird? What are the things you hold closest to your heart, the things you might hesitate to share with other people, the things that make you tear up when you try to express them? What are you longing for this Advent? And if you've stopped singing, if you feel so tired and wounded you don't even feel like taking up a song of lament, be gentle with yourself and ask, when did I last sing? When did I stop? What might it take to get me singing again? Because whatever your song is, I hope you find time to sing it. Whatever your song is, I hope you can honor the feelings and the emotions it expresses. And I hope you'll find time not just to sing that metaphorical song, but I hope over the next year you'll find time to also literally sing with us and others. In our current culture, it's a weird thing to sing with other people. It's a weird thing to defiantly declare that those on the margins of society are loved and valued. It's a weird thing to proclaim that this world isn't all there is and that better things are coming and then to get excited to work towards those changes. So let's keep the weird in the season. Let's sing our songs, whatever they may be, and let's listen to the songs of those around us and lend our voices. Amen.
You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.